You're now listening to The Nest on Tap, conversations to encourage parents to make informed choices about healthcare and embrace parenting as a tool to change the world, one diaper at a time. Here's your host, Katie Demota. Great. Hello and welcome to The Nest on Tap. Today we're talking about the importance of processing the birth experience. I'll be your host today. I'm Katie Demota. I'm a lactation consultant and a postpartum and early parenting educator. Um, In my work with families, I have uh, specifically in the past 12 years looking at birth, um, mostly in the postpartum period, I've really seen that birth can really make such a big impact um, in the postpartum period in all um, and everyone who's been participating in the birth process. Um, And that could be, you know, with mental wellness, it could be within the physical body, it could be within relationships, relationships even with oneself or with one's baby. So I thought it would be really interesting and rather important to have this conversation to talk about the importance of processing that birth experience um, and also looking at the variety of modalities that are available for everyone to process birth experience. So I invited three of my favorite professionals to join me today so that we could have a deeper conversation. Um, Please welcome uh, Daniela DiPiero. Daniela, she's a mom and a licensed therapist, and she specializes in body-centered techniques for processing trauma and life experiences. She also runs a nonprofit working with youth and families. Thank you, Daniela. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome, Julie Franklin. Julie weaves acupressure, craniosacral work, and homeopathy together as tools to access the wholeness that resides within each of us. Through these tools, blockages from the physical and emotional body can be released to restore balance and harmony within. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. I welcome Chelsea Bryan. Chelsea is a mother, educator, doula, and certified professional midwife. She's based here in Nevada City. You may know Chelsea, she's been teaching birth classes and leading pregnancy groups here at The Nest for the past seven years. Welcome and thank you, Chelsea. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, I thought we could start this conversation today looking at specifically what have been some of the most helpful modalities or techniques that you have been using with, with families to process the birth experience. And I thought, um, Daniela, maybe um, start us off with some of the techniques you've been using in your practice. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the way that I look at therapy for starters is, is storytelling, essentially. You know, talk therapy is we tell our stories and then you have someone listen to you really deeply. And I know that um, with both births of both my sons and particularly the first one, which was really challenging and ended up very differently than how I expected, it was really important for me after that to be able to tell the story and then tell it again and then tell it again and tell it to different people and just kind of begin to feel into the parts of it that felt um, empowering to me and also the parts that felt shaming Um, because I think often it's kind of like parenting books, you know, like you can read any parenting book to back up your parenting style. And then you can read any other parenting book to tell you that you're doing it all wrong. And I think sometimes birth is the same way. You have this idea of how 
you want it to go or how it should go. Um, and there's of course all sorts of different ways for it to look, but it also, at least for, for someone like me, it left me all these ways to blame myself afterwards for like not having it, not having done it the way I wanted, not having done it well enough or in the place I wanted to or so on and so forth. So, I mean, it took me a long time to just tell that story over and over again to different people and to check back in with the people who had been there with me. Um, so I would say that's that for starters is just like a safe, loving, neutral space to be able to tell your story like over and over again um, in different ways and, and to have it be really deeply listened to and attended to. Um, but then, you know, I feel like at least in the therapeutic realm um, as, a, as a therapist, there, there's a real limitation to talk therapy because what we know about um, trauma, and I'll use that word with a really broad spectrum, this isn't trauma like the most horrible, awful thing you can ever imagine, although of course it applies to that. It's also, you know, the tiny things that bug you over time or the patternings that got set in place when you were born or you were an infant um, and that you might not even totally recognize consciously as an adult or as a mother until something kicks it up in your own parenting journey with your own child. So what we know about trauma, broadly speaking, is that in order for it to kind of process out and not be like stuck in these held patterns or in these held kind of like trauma capsules, we know that it gets stored in the body. And so in order for it to get released, we need to do some sort of body-centered practice. So the ones that I use when I'm sitting in my office with somebody um, tend to be uh, there's EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's kind of like the worst, longest name to try to remember. Um, and it's even though often someone's sitting pretty still when we're doing EMDR, um, it involves the movement of the eyes back and forth and back and forth. And that's called bilateral stimulation, which essentially just means that you're crossing the meridian line of the body back back and forth and back and forth. And they don't even completely, with all the research, this is very research-based at this point, EMDR has been around for many decades now and has gained a lot of traction with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder is like one of the main effective trauma processing techniques. Um, but they still don't even totally understand why it works. But it has something to do with crossing the corpus callosum, that center part of the brain between the right hemisphere and left hemisphere. And in terms of how memory and trauma gets stored and like dumped into long-term memory, when you start doing bilateral stimulation, either through tapping back and forth or through moving your eyes back and forth with someone who's trained and is also hearing your story in present time, there's a way where it just starts to unlock and free up all the parts of the brain and all the parts of the body so that those original moments that got stuck can go through all the different parts, not just the amygdala, the flight or fight, fight or flight center of the brain, but also the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus and all the other areas so that your body and brain and mind and spirit and soul can re-understand what happened and not feel, you'll still have the memory of course, but it just doesn't come along with the, like the physical or emotional responses that got locked in at that time. Um, so I'll just mention one, one more thing and then I'll stop talking because I know I'm taking up a bunch of time. But the other technique that I've been using a lot is called brain spotting and it evolved out of EMDR and it uses bilateral stimulation through music. So you have headphones on 
and then the music gently goes from one ear to the other ear and it does also involve eye gaze spots where you look in certain places guided by the practitioner um, so those are the ones I use the most but there's also somatic experiencing which is amazing this book um, Peter Levine uh, waking the tiger he's the original somatic experiencing person um, and there are a lot of others that are out there in terms of ways to work with the body and both Chelsea and Julie obviously do this all the time too so I'll just pause there oh that's fantastic Daniela thanks for going into detail about those modalities I get goosebumps listening because it is such an interesting premise. And I think it's interesting that they don't understand what's happening. As someone who's successfully used EMDR twice now for two different kinds of trauma, I am blown away by the results. I didn't understand what was happening in the process of doing it, but I can definitely attest to the results. It's pretty amazing. I didn't know I'd been here this long. I thought it was kind of new. It took a while to gain traction because it is kind of weird, right? You see somebody like waving a wand or something and you're like, what is that? Um, but yeah, the level of trauma that I've seen it process out of people's systems is pretty remarkable. Sometimes people, if people have done any kind of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy work or whatever, people will describe it almost like that, like where it's even in a 50 or 60 minute session, the level of transformation that can happen is, is pretty profound. Yeah, yeah. it was mind blowing to me as a, as a patient it was really amazing. Thank you for sharing. Thanks, Kim. Julie, do you want to share some practice, some, some modalities that you have found successful in your practice? Sure. I'd be happy to. So I blend craniosacral work, which some of you may know what it is, but for those of you who don't, I will go into a little description. So craniosacral work is Len, it's working with the cerebrospinal fluid. So we have, it's, uh, it's kind of like the lymph system for our nervous system. And it responds to basically actually 20 minutes after conception, that system begins. And so it's the first beginning of life. And then 20 minutes after death, the um, system stops. So it's really kind of the introduction and end to our embodiment. Um, any kind of trauma or stress or accidents or even being born can change the patterns. It, um, it works with the 22 cranial bones we have. So we have 22 bones in our head. And they all move with this, it's called the breath of life. And it's an oceanic pulse. And so like the, the bones here, our ear bones, which are called the temporal bones, they have this pattern of opening and closing. And it's slower than the respiratory breath. Um, so when there's trauma, the, the system shifts, it, it can shut down, it can get into this like trauma pattern, which is um, like a shark movement instead of a dolphin movement up and down the spine. And so I simply hold, uh, I'll hold the sacrum, which is the triangular bone at the base of the spine, and then hold the back of the head and listen to that that flow from, from the sacrum up to the head and wait until 
the body can recognize its natural healthy state. And so it's really like Daniela was saying, it's, it's witnessing, it's a deep listening experience. So um, it's like listening to the whisper inside the, the deepest part of us that part that got started 20 minutes after conception and that knows it's got this, it's got this amazing intelligence and um, it responds to everything. So listening to that whisper of, of what it has to say, it's stored in the bones, it's stored in the organs. Um, so after going through a birth experience that may be traumatic or it may just be birth, which, in essence is kind of traumatic uh, having done it twice myself. I mean, there's a beauty to it, obviously. And sometimes it's, you know, doesn't end beautifully, but um, you know, there's beauty to it, but it's traumatic on the body. It's traumatic for the baby and it's amazing. So it's really just like resetting the system to, uh, to remember the deepest essence of health and wholeness. Um, so it's really gentle. Like you, you don't, I am not manipulating. I'm just listening and waiting and the body's intelligence responds. Um, so I blend that and I use some other techniques with it, but that's kind of the basis of, my practice. That's the foundation of my practice. And I have other modalities that I bring in that can assist it. So, thank you. Thanks, Julie, for explaining that to us. That's so beautiful. So well said. And that's what's been happening when I'm laying on your table. I never knew. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea, you want to weigh in a little bit on your experience with um, families in the birth process? Well, my experience is a little bit uh, different. Obviously, I come from a place where I do and focus on a lot of prenatal, prenatal education. I think that that's uh, obviously a very important introduction to this wild process of getting this baby out of our body. Um, you know, understanding, you know, essentially what is the, you know, the, the physiology behind the process, as well as understanding, you know, common medical interventions or things that you might experience, you know, during birth. I think that helps a lot. But as a birth worker and as somebody who has been in the room for a lot of births and, and been with people at, at a lot of births and these, these, these big wild moments that we, yes, we may have learned about it in class and we have, yes, we've talked to our aunties and we've had our friends talk about it. It's very different when it happens to us. It's very different when it's in our body. It's very different when it's in our own family system. And I just, I kind of see my role as, as somebody who's in, in the birth is to, to be that witness in that moment. Um, you know, witness is a word that has already been um, talked about. But I think when we are in that very vulnerable place of birth, having somebody who is, um, again, it might be a doula, it might be a nurse, it might be a midwife, it might be your partner, someone who can 
hold that space um, through physical touch, through verbal cues, and um, sometimes even a bit of narration of what is happening, you know, that can be um, helpful in that moment. Oftentimes in, you know, postpartum circles that I have led, you know, people are revisiting their birth. And I think that this is an important thing. Um, I love the, the storytelling and, and the aspect of storytelling that Daniela brought forth. Because I think we're, we're telling our birth stories our, our whole lives. Um, you know, I can talk to my 95-year-old grandma who, you know, honestly doesn't know what day it is. But she can tell you in great detail uh, about the doctor and what his breath smelled like and where her baby went and, you know, how she felt in those moments. So, this, you know, this, this day of birth is a day that changes us who we are. And it's a day that we that we carry with us, you know, forward forever. And I, I think talking about that over and over again really is helpful and talking about it in a way where we are looking for uh, the strength, we're looking for resilience, we're looking for all the things that went well, um, because some of us have uh, births that shake us to our core and make us question our, you know, if we were going to make it. And some of us have births that are very boring because that's kind of what we are. We're, we're mammals having babies and it's a very holy and special and precious moment. And it's also very mundane and a, a simple biological act. And so I think when we can be in circle with other people or, you know, even, you know, in a casual way, just telling our story over and over again. Um, that is really a, a powerful tool that we have. And I'm going to just say one more thing, which is, I think that that powerful tool is um, helping us all process and prepare for our, our future births as well. Um, it's, you know, I, I see a lot of women sharing their birth stories in a way that really focuses and highlights on the parts that scared them or the parts that were really hard or the parts where they felt very vulnerable. And they often do that trying to warn their sisters and friends who are ab about to give birth. And so I am a big fan of always looking for the both and in birth, you know, that this can be bloody and miraculous and transformative and scary and beautiful and holy and terrifying and, 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 and. So, so yes, to sum up my point, prenatal education, talking lots and, you know, and looking and recognizing, um, the strength, grace, fear, and humanness of that experience. So well said, thank you for sharing, Chelsea. Yeah, thank you for inviting us into thinking about it in such a well-rounded way, right? There's a lot of ways to be looking at birth and thinking about birth and experiencing birth, right? While we have you and while we'll, we're talking briefly about prenatal, um, periods. Is there anything, and all three of you could maybe weigh into this, what are things that um, families could be doing prenatally to prepare for their birth experience? And that could be their first birth. I mean, maybe they're anxious. I know I really was, and I know I wanted to do a lot. Like, what are all the things I need to do? Or maybe you're still thinking about the last birth, and in preparation for your next birth, whether you're pregnant or not yet pregnant, Maybe you're feeling really anxious or scared or like, I'm never going back there. I'm never doing that again. 
Um, so what are things that we could do prenatally to prepare for birth experience? Anyone want to start us off? I'll start off real quick and I'll be short. <laughs> um, and I, because I think it's important um, what you said about subsequent babies and subsequent pregnancies and subsequent births and, and looking at that. And uh, one thing that I have found that has been very helpful for families is to um, either talk to their care provider or access their medical chart and find out some of the clinical things that happened and look at, um, look at their birth with a different lens, um, not to dismiss or take away from the emotions that we were experiencing at that time. But sometimes that lens can, can shift our perspective. We can look at the emotions that we have attached to those events and begin to unpack them a little bit. Um, one of the, one thing that comes to mind is I've often worked with the, you know, dads who have, are very reluctant to expand their families because they feel like everybody almost died. And I was in the room and I know that everybody was very safe. Uh, there was no emergency, there was no urgency. Um, but obviously that was a very triggering event for him. And so to, to talk about with him as a, as a caregiver, like, you know, everything was really fine. This is, you know, where the baby's heart rate was. This is what was going on with the mom. These are normal sights and sounds that we, we see at birth. This is what we expect to see at birth. Um, I, I think that began to, to change his, his lens a little bit. So I, I think that along, you know, looking at that more clinical piece can be helpful. And, and then moving into the, the work that both Julie and Daniela um, offer families. Thank you. Daniela, do you want to speak to um, some ideas for prenatal? Yeah, sure. So one of the, I mean, you can definitely use EMDR and brain spotting for prenatal stuff too, um, because sometimes things that are coming up in the prenatal experience are actually connected in with, like I spoke about before, like earlier patterning that we have. Um, so I think they can be useful for that as well but also for resourcing and for um, kind of like you were talking about Chelsea, like how to open the field to um, even if something's already good, what could make it even better? Um, you know, a lot of the research around uh, body centered hypnosis, which I tend to call guided visualization and guided imagery, because that's um, sometimes more accessible for people. The studies have shown, you know, say with um, athletes, you know, that if one group of athletes does their regular training the way they normally would, and then another group of athletes doesn't do the physical training, but simply, simply, in quotation marks, because it's actually not so simple, but goes through the imagined visual um, kind of imagining what their body would do if they were going through those training exercises, the, the end results are remarkable. You know, the athletes that visualize and don't do any of the actual physical training do as well, sometimes even better. Um, so we know that simply by activating the, the structures in the brain that, that, that generate images or sounds or smells or whatever it is, it's this amazing experience where you can actually kind of I, I tend to describe it as like you create a memory, but it's coming from the future. It's like, so even if you've never given birth before, you can through, 
through imagining the most incredible, healthy, beautiful, and yes, perhaps painful, but framed in a way where it's like great and feels good to everybody. Um, by imagining into that, you actually create in the body and the brain these memory structures so that when you're in the actual birth experience, that's what your body remembers back into is like these images and stories that you've created internally that are very real, even though we call them more in the imaginal or imagined realm. Um, so I, I wish I had done more of that before having my first baby because I kind of went into it being like, well, I don't know what it's going to be like. So I'm not going to do hypnobirthing. I'm not, there's, there's like so many things to choose from. Why even like bother? Cause I don't know what the experience is going to be like. I don't know what's going to help me prepare. Um, so I kind of went into it more blind, which is, you know, maybe that was exactly perfect for me. I don't know. But with my second one, even though I had the memory of the first one, I was like listening to all the affirmations. I was like doing all the things and I'm glad I did because it helped me repattern what happened in my first birth and go into the second one in a way where I felt a lot more resourced. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's really helpful information to pass along um, and really empowering to know that there are things that we can do. Envision and go see Julie. And yeah, so <laughs> Julie, yeah. Julie, do you want to add to that conversation, that question? Sure. Sure. Um, so I want to add first as a mom, who had two babies, um, I would have really liked if someone told me that meat would have been helpful. Um, I was a vegetarian vegan for like 18 years and uh, I had no idea how depleted my physical body was. Um, so if someone had told me to eat meat while I was pregnant, I would have probably not done it because I was so hardcore. But in retrospect, like, I just feel like, oh my God, how did I even do that? How did I make and nurse two babies when I was like a little skinny skeleton with no B12 and no iron? <laughs> you know, so as a mom, that's what I would love to tell people is, you know, if just to look at becoming a mom, you can't have the same things anymore. You can't be the same person anymore. You have to look at your body in a different way as well as everything else. Everything's new. So, um, that as a mom, but as a practitioner, I think I've helped people through their pregnancies and, um, one thing that's really huge is just dealing with the emotional traumas that are stored in our bodies, whether it's from being raped or, you know, any kind of trauma that's going to come up again in birth to be able to clear it ahead of time. So when you're actually in the process, you don't have your own emotional baggage, like all of a sudden get unveiled. And so you're processing all this stuff from your whole life that you haven't dealt with just to be able to deal with it before the baby comes while you're um, in that, in that stage of growing and becoming a mom, like you're clearing your past as well from your body and preparing your body for the next stage of being a mama. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Julie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked a lot about the birthing person. We talked a little bit about a dad, but I wondered if any of you wanted to weigh in on talking about the birth experience um, and processing it for other people in the room. That could be a partner. It could be a grandparent. It could be a child. Um, and it could be the baby. And the baby, right. And the baby. So does anyone want to talk about helpful tips or things that you have found useful for helping um, other folks in the room, including the baby? I, I, I have something to say about this, which is I, you know, I'm a big fan of um, babies are intelligent. It's one of the, my core things that I want to communicate in my classes that these are little people and they are having an experience when they are being born. I think birth is such a stimulating topic and it, it invites so much passionate response in our own bodies because we were all born. We all share the experience of birth. We all got here somehow and we didn't hatch from an egg. We came out of a vagina or we were delivered via C-section, but we all had this birth experience. We you know, don't have conscious memory and words to articulate what that was like for us as individuals. But I think when you can imagine for a minute what it might, must be like for this, this new person to go through this big birth experience, um, it, it changes our dynamic and how we, we move forward in, in terms of early parenting and in terms of attachment and in terms of bonding and having compassion for the experience of baby at birth. I have been to many births where, you know, babies uh, experience assisted delivery, meaning that they are helped through the vaginal canal via, um, a, it's called a vacuum. Uh, or a ventus, um, and it's a it's a small suction cup that's placed on on the back of the baby's head, and you know the doctor is helping physically and manually assisting the baby to come down, at, while the mom's pushing. You know, I imagine, and maybe this is just my imagination, but I imagine for a, a new baby, you know, they might be a little sore because somebody kind of yanked on their head. And, you know, this is not a discussion about, you know, if that was appropriate technology or not at that time, but just like, hey, let's, let's look at like why this baby might be uh, a little slow to learn a new skill like breastfeeding that involves the head and the neck moving in different ways and involves the structures uh, and the, of, of the mouth to open and perform this, this new task. Maybe they're just feeling a little bit like, whoa, dude, like I just got pulled through a vagina. That's really intense. Just, I need, I need a moment. And if parents have that perspective, um, sometimes they can give themselves some more grace and some more space to, uh, just allow that process to, to catch up with itself or to seek out, uh, things that might be helpful physically for that baby. Um, you know, chiropractic, cranial sacral are things that I, I often uh, recommend to, to those, those babies. Not every, not every baby needs it. So anyway, that's just like, and I am, you know, I am the Lorax, I speak for the babies. Um, because I think be, being born has got to be like pretty intense for them. Um, and I'm going to let uh, people who are far wiser than I talk about uh, that and maybe some stuff about uh, other people in the birth room. Hey. Parents, um, Julie, I'd love to hear what you say, what you think about craniosacral support for um, newborns. I, as a 
lactation consultants definitely see this all, um, pretty often. And I am always recommending craniosacral or osteopathy or chiropractic support for newborns that have had some sort of birth intervention, specifically vacuum. I'm curious if you can add to that conversation um, specifically around craniosacral. Yeah, I, I actually had a client who was in her 60s and she struggled in her life in a big kind of way. Just everything was hard. Everything just never went smoothly for her. And she had this kind of like, I mean, only nerdy people like me would notice. Um, but her face just kind of looked a little like scrunchy on one side. Um, and like I said, people wouldn't notice. It just, I look at those sorts of things in people's faces. Um, and she, uh, in the middle of the session, she went back and was remembering her birth. And it was like, she was right back there and all, I mean, it was a dramatic shift in the way her, her cranial bones moved. And at the end of the session, her face was perfectly aligned. She had gone through the birth experience again and realized how um, traumatic it was for her to be born. And uh, her cranial bones were never um, in the proper place her entire life. She said at the end of the session, I can't believe I've had to wait 60 years to start my life, but that's what it felt like to her. Um, so I think getting cranial work as a baby, especially if there's been some trauma to the baby or, you know, just a hard position or some, you know, lack of freedom in the head and neck, uh, odd shaped bones, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to help um, align the baby early so they don't have to spend 60 years getting to the point where it gets aligned, their birth trauma gets aligned. Um, and I personally am not the person to take the babies to. Carrie Dahlstrom is uh, an amazing uh, pediatric craniosacral practitioner. Um, I'm, I'm really good with, uh, like 10 and up, but I'm not great with, with little, the littles or the babies. So I, I refer them out to Carrie Dahlstrom or other practitioners who are better at, at babyhood. But I think it's a very, very valuable resource and a very important resource. Thank you for sharing that story. It gave me goosebumps really thinking about that experience. Can you imagine? But what a big testimonial for how craniosacral support um, can even 60 years later support someone. That's, that's really amazing. Thanks, Julie. Mm -hmm. Daniela, do you want to um, hop in here and talk about? You know, yeah, the one thought that I have is um, I really like this book. It's called Welcoming Consciousness. If people are listening to the podcast later, um, and I haven't read this for a while, but I, it, it, it was, it's, it's just a beautiful series of examples of how conscious babies are and how sometimes people will have very conscious recall later in their lives or later in their childhoods 
um, to things that were happening even when they were in utero um, that they you know shouldn't have been able to technically um, have known you know about what was going on between their parents or so on and so forth. Um, so the one caveat I would say about this book and about knowing how conscious babies are is to not use that information to beat oneself up about messing up your kids. Um, because I think like Julie's story so beautifully illustrates, you know, a healing is available at any moment, even on our deathbed. So it's, while yeah, sure, it, wouldn't it be great if we could have cranial sacral and, you know, therapy and all these different things when we're babies um, and then children, it's okay, you know, and, and we're all inevitably going to make mistakes. And of course, we can't like give our children the perfect everything. Um, so I think it's that paradox of, you know, <laughs> letting ourselves crack open to how incredibly conscious these beings are, these beings on the call right now in all of your arms, right? Um, that they're even listening. They're listening to us. They're listening to us talk. Hi. <laughs> um, and and then our hope is that we can bring as much healing as possible to them and to ourselves um, and that we don't have to be pressured about it and that we get to forgive ourselves and our culture and each other um, and that the babies are doing that too. You know, I'm 42 and I just a few months ago was in a deep healing experience where I shook out my birth trauma. I had no idea that that was going to come up. And I didn't even know that my birth was that traumatic. So it can happen at any time. And, um, and I think it's often ongoing, you know, it's like what I see in my practice and my office is it's just layer upon layer upon layer. We don't like reach the end point where we're like perfectly healed and in the body that's like beyond free, but it's just, it's a practice and we get to feel into it day to day. And we're going to have days that are just like, super down we're like oh man i did all that work and i thought i freed so much stuff up and now here i am again um so the spiral you know and and that it's i think there's so much fruitfulness and so much possibility for our children and for their children um when we do the healing work and that's the last little thing i'll say is like all the epigenetic research right now is so fascinating the way that when we heal it that even scientifically we're able to be able to see now that the healing goes in both directions um and the way that some of the stuff that we're working with or that our children are working with is stuff that's been handed down um genetically um and and it, meaning that we can turn our genes on and off so when we heal stuff it literally transforms what our children are experiencing. Um, it literally transforms the way their DNA is operating and the way their children's DNA is operating. Um, so uh, there's a good book called It Didn't Start With You. That's one of the, the good ones right now that I'm reading. That's about a lot of stories from a therapist who's done a lot of family constellation work and a lot of work with epigenetics. Thank you, Daniela. That's well, epigenetics are always so fascinating to me to think that we're still working through trauma from our parents or grandparents. Really, it's amazing what we can do today um, through healing work. Um, kind of on that same note, I, I'm curious how you see um, families continuing to work through the birth process sort of ongoing. In other words, clearly it's never too late 
right? It doesn't matter if you birthed yesterday, last month, or 60 years ago, or whenever. How do all of you see people processing that birth story ongoing? Does it look different as things go along? Um, what kind of tools um, do you see? So I, I just, I, I got to say this. Um, I do a lot of visits 24 hours after birth or check in with people. And I, I noticed there's kind of this universal thing I call it the glory hallelujah appointment where the day after everybody just basically like, whew, we made it. Like we made it. We went on the journey. We're, we're, we're here and we're going to talk about it. And um, there's kind of this moment of like, wow, that was really intense. And here we are. And, um, and that seems to, to be very, very common. And then as, as you move through, especially the first six weeks, questions start to bubble up. Um, you know, like, why did this happen? Um, I didn't understand what happened here. Or like, you know, time, you know, it's kind of like almost like remembering a dream right? When you look back on your birth, you remember some moments like very vividly. Um, time is all twisty and, and, and turny where, you know, one can, you can, might remember one contraction, 60 seconds of your labor, and it might have felt like an eternity. Um, but then, you know, the previous or, you know, next six hours are like not even part of your memory. Um, so as people move through those first initial weeks, like some of those things start to bubble up. I think it's, uh, if you're a writer or like to write things down or an artist, or there's some way to express that and get that out on paper and to, uh, put down those, those thoughts that are as, and those feelings as they are fresh, because I do, I do think they change over time and how we, um, to what people are, are telling us, what we are remembering, what our partner is saying to us, what our um, care provider is saying to us in our postpartum visits. All of that is going to affect and change um, our own story and our own perception of, of birth. So I, I, I'm, I try to be very careful and mindful when, when talking about, you know, how did your birth go? Um, that's, that's kind of a an interesting question. And after years, sometimes that, uh, the answer to that question has really been changed by what other people have said about our birth, even if they were there or, or not there. Um, so anyway, I, I, I really like to leave those questions open-ended and when talking with new moms, you know, let their story be their story, let their experience be their experience, let them celebrate the strength that they felt, let them process the, sorry, I have a dog, um, process the, the, the fear or the vulnerability that they were experiencing uh, before eliciting too much uh, outside response, like, for example, looking at a chart or asking somebody else to um, reflect their, their birth story back to you. Um, because it, it, is, it is ongoing. And I, I want to say we talk about our, our births every year on our, our kids' birthdays. And I, you know, try to be mindful that I am, I'm seeding their um, words around, you know, the, the words around their experience 
future fertility experiences and um, to, again, look for the strength and to look for health and to look for resilience at, at the same time, acknowledging what a big challenge getting that baby out of my body was. And, and again, going back to the, to the both and. But I do think that there's initial, like it is so big that our first response is like, whoa, <sighs> we're here on, you know, kind of, are we okay? Mm -hmm. Anyone else want to add to looking at how birth stories uh, change over time or what you've noticed about um, how folks process their birth experience over time? Well, one thing I can just add to everything you were just saying, Chelsea, is one thing I've noticed with my two boys is um, the in, in retelling their birth stories with them in a way that's empowering and that you know can talk about the difficult parts in the way that's real once they're once it's age appropriate for them to understand like oh this part was really hard for me or maybe when i feel stuck a lot of the time oh i have this experience when i was coming through into the world um that that can be important for 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 the the little ones and um i've been noticing that it's helpful with sibling fighting because my boys fight constantly oh man it's just really rough um and and, and so when we talk about their births, especially the littler one's birth, it immediately just like opens the floodgates of love for both of them, of what those moments were like, because birth is such a liminal place and such a place where our hearts are blown wide open. And so for them to be able to remember what that was like, and for the older one to remember the feeling of when he heard that his brother was actually born and um, all of that has been really, really sweet. And so, yeah, bringing those moments of sweetness into the absolute ruckus and chaos I've been finding is really nice. Yeah. I love that, Daniela. Thanks for sharing. And I think it's great to think about sharing birth experience, birth stories with children. And um, I, I, now I'm excited to try that. We've looked at baby pictures, but never actually talked about birth. So this is kind of a new idea to me. And that's awesome and fascinating to be talking, adding to that narrative because it is their story just as much as it is our story. Um, that's beautiful. Uh, Julie, do you want to add to that? Um, well, what I have to add actually is a really uh, pretty personal story of my own uh, so I was receiving some craniosacral work in a class during my training to become, to do craniosacral work. And I went back into my birth. So I was like getting, I was like remembering what my experience was from the infant point of view. And um, it was so amazingly profound and powerful for me to, to feel in my, in my grown body, what my baby self felt and experienced emotionally and physically. And, um, yeah, my mother had the measles when I was born. And so she was drugged on, you know, twilight sleep or whatever they did back in those days. So she's drugged. She's has, she has the measles and basically I get born and they move me out of the space because she had the measles. They didn't want me in the room. So I have this drugged mother and then I'm removed. 
And so feeling that experience in my grown body, like reliving it was so huge. It just explained all these things of like, why am I, why do I have abandonment issues when nobody's abandoning me? And, you know, why do I think everyone's going to leave when they don't? Um, it's like, I expect to be by myself. And so at that moment, it just cleared that pattern for me of like, um, that expectation of being isolated. And so I think that there's so much imprint on the newborn, the birth, like going through birth and becoming into that first 24 hours, what is it like for the baby? And if there's any kind of trauma through the pregnancy, through the birth, through that first 24 hours of life, it can really form your emotional patterning in life. So um, it's really important to, to bring, I love Daniela that you talk to your kids about birth, like that just wasn't ever mentioned in my, in my childhood. So it's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. And that's a powerful story, Julie. Thank you for sharing. Wow. Things were done so differently, although you still see some of that left over today, right? Some isolation. Um, my son was isolated as well. So now you got me thinking like, hmm, does he feel that way? Does he feel abandoned? But it is really important to see, to look back to how we got started. Thank you for that invitation. Mm-hmm. That's a big invitation that we can all, I'm sure, use. We just have a few minutes left. I want to open up questions, but before we do that, any last um, suggestions for some tools uh, for anyone who's looking to explore their birth on their own? Maybe they can't afford some support or help or they want to start looking at things um, on their own. Anything you can recommend to them? Yeah, Danielle. Um, One thing that I just had me thinking as you were talking, Julie, is um, any kind of inner child work, because as we become mothers, we're also actually re-raising ourselves from, you know, we all have all the ages we've ever been inside us. So we have the little baby that we were inside our mother's womb. We have, you know, the one-year-old, the two-year-old, the five-year-old, the 13-year-old. So any way that whether you know you're working with a practitioner or not ways that you can bring in it's i i usually see it as like these layers of um of comfort and healing and nourishing and restoration mm-hmm. where here's my body right here i'm holding my physical children but i'm also holding my inner selves of the ages that they were. Um, and they might show up on any given day differently, you know, on any, at any moment of the day, you can close your eyes and be like, how old is my little one right now? My own internal Daniela or my own internal Julie. Um, and you just see how they appear, you know, what do they look like? What age are they? How are they doing? Are they playing? Are they curled up in a little ball? Do they have animals around them? Are they sad? Are they, um, just check in, with how that younger being is doing inside you. Um, and then if the little being is, is sad or there's something going on, you can just broaden the field and ask, what would help this little one right now? And sometimes having your own adult presence there is helpful. Sometimes the little one will want that. Often if they were, if you 
were abandoned or really hurt by humans when you were little, sometimes the resources that will appear are animals or trees or land or even energies or colors, or if you have a spiritual practice, um, it might be spirit beings, any, any ones that can come in to help surround you, nourish you, hold you. So that's a practice that anybody can do on their own at any time of day. It can take 30 seconds or two hours, however long you wanna go into it. And it's also a practice you can use with your children. Um, you know, with my oldest, especially because of his hard birth experience, I, before he could even talk, I just started imagining a circle of beings around him. And I swear immediately when I would remember to do that, I'd almost forget. And this after an hour in of trying to nurse him to sleep, like, oh, right, that thing that somehow I thought to do and it always works and I do it. And then within seconds, he'd be asleep. And he still does that. He's almost eight now, you know, and it's it. So whatever, and that that might not be the practice that you want to use that's right for you or for your child, but just opening to the whatever bigger perspective you can tap into because, you know, we're, our bodies are amazing, but still, geez, you're only one person. So like opening to whatever other resources that can come in, even if you're not working with another specific person or practitioner. Thank you. Like Any that. other tools that you want to share before we open up for questions? I have one tool that came out of um, a postpartum group. Um, and it, it's, you know, obviously I'm also going to say, write, dance, move, sing, yell, do, you know, do whatever you do. But one thing that's very simple and super cheap is to take some olive oil or if you have another favorite massage oil and at some point during the week, some people are ambitious and can do this kind of stuff every day, but I, I don't have that uh, internal discipline or that time because I have three kids, right? But uh, to, to kind of take that oil after you get out of the shower or the bath and, you know, put it in your hands and, you know, slowly kind of like just rub it in your whole body and, and imagine that you are putting on a layer of wholeness, you are putting on a layer of protection, that within this skin, you have everything you need. You are full, you are whole, you are powerful, you are complicated, you are happy, you are angry, you are all, you contain multitudes, um, you know, you can get very poetic with it. But um, for some people who are feeling particularly raw or exposed or vulnerable, um, as a new mom or after birth or kind of at any time, it, it's kind of this symbolic, like I'm, I'm putting on my layer of protection that I am okay, that this body in this moment is okay. And maybe everything that has happened in this body has not been easy. Maybe everything that has happened to this body, I did not give consent for. Maybe everything that has happened in this body has, you know, there is pleasure, there is pain, but right here, right now, I am here and I am with myself and I can, can walk out of this bathroom and move on with my day. Mm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That is definitely inexpensive and something we can all do daily if we wanted. Thank you. I would love to open up questions to our audience who are here today. If anyone has a question, you're welcome to unmute yourself and ask, or you're also welcome to chat. And I'm happy to read your question aloud. Can, 
Can you hear me? I can. Hi, Catherine. Oh, yeah. sorry. Um, I was wondering if there's a different different processing for vaginal versus cesarean for both the child and the mom, and if y'all had any thoughts about about that. Anyone want to take that question? I'm looking at Chelsea because it seems like you have a thought that's coming. Is that true or no? <laughs> There's many thoughts, but I, I, yeah, I was tr I'm trying to figure out which one to follow um, because, you know, we, a lot of babies are born vaginally and a lot of babies are born via C-section and both of those are very valid entries into the world and both of them serve um, a, a very a good purpose. Um, and, you know, sometimes when we are expecting to birth vaginally and we are faced with a, a C-section, um, that can represent a, a, a big change of plans. That, and there can be some really big feelings about that. And, you know, when you get into surgery, again, there's some very big feelings that I think our bodies hold on to, um, you know, with, with surgery. Um, even if it's a surgery that we want, even if it's, if it's a surgery that's necessary and life-saving, um, you know, there is, a, it is a, a very vulnerable act to, um, to say yes to that and to say yes to this is how I'm gonna bring my, my baby into this world because a, a C-section birth is not simple and it's not easy, it's not an easy way out. Um, and I, I, I'm not quite sure you know, uh, where I wanna go with it other than to acknowledge the, the bravery um, and being so willing to get your baby into this world to have your plans, your, you know, your plans and your intentions and, you know, your dreams and hopes for this birth often change so abruptly and, um, and sometimes not get the respect and acknowledgement of um, what an amazing act that is as, as a mother. I mean, I think it shows like as mothers, we will do whatever it takes to get our babies into this world. Like that, that's, whew. I mean, it gives me chills thinking about it. Um, so I'm not sure where I want to go with that other than to, I guess, make that acknowledgement because I, I do feel like there are many women who, you know, don't get to process that unexpected grief that comes up when, when things change and when we are called on to be so heroic on such short notice. Well said. Danielle, do you want to add to that? I would just say, you know, paying attention to what your baby and your own body need because different moms and babies who have had C-section births and different moms and babies who have had vaginal births might need really different things. You know, sometimes babies who have been born by C-section, sometimes in childhood, it's useful for them to do some sort of physical movements or therapies where they actually go through an experience of being more contained and held and going through, you know, there's like those, I mean, a lot of times kids will just work this stuff out in their play without you even necessarily knowing what they're doing, but like any kind of tunnels or things like that. Some kids will, will, will thrive with kind of having an, an uh, a very um, spontaneous way of getting that kind of squeezing experience that they didn't. 
in the birth process, but I'm not, I, I don't know enough to say that all babies would need that. You know what I mean? Other babies who are born by C-section might need something totally different. Other babies born by C-section might be like, that was awesome. Like that is exactly what I wanted and needed in terms of coming to this world. Thank you. Um, and same thing for your own body as a mom. So yeah, that's what, it's not a real answer, <laughs> but it's uh, just like f continue to follow the question, I guess. Great. Thank you. Other questions um, in the audience? I have a question. Is that doable? Can you guys hear me? I yep. had to get I my microphone working. Yep, go ahead. Okay, sorry, good. Okay, so this, so I'm not a mom, I'm trained birth educator and a doula, but I think it's still like applicable to moms who are trying to do this work for themselves. Um, what kind of questions or can you guys gear up towards resources that, that like basically the kinds of questions that start that work? Um, I know we already had someone explain like the inner child work and then obviously, you know, right dance move seeing and massage oil and all of that, but more just like, um, so I started like collecting birth stories when I first decided this is what I wanted to do. It was the closest I could get to birth was just people telling me. And at first it was like, oh, I just want this information. And then I noticed, you know, that I would have to learn how to hold space really quickly because people would get emotional within their storytelling of their experience. So then I, that I sort of towards you're helping me out by giving me information, but I, it's also a it's a way for you to process, you know? Um, and a lot of times I just ask them to start at the beginning and go from there. And that's how it organically unfolds. But I'm curious what questions might really help moms unlock parts of the birth that might have been really heavy or something like that. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I don't know if this is a specific unlocking question, but generally, if you ask a new mom, are you okay? Mm. And then you wait a minute and she'll say, yeah, I'm great. The baby's good. I'm, I'm, yeah, everything's fine. I'm tired. And then you go, are you okay? There's often tears that follow. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, being a new mom is obviously overwhelming. And, you know, so I, I just think sometimes like those simple questions take people to, you know, where they want to go and also where they're willing to go. I do think it's important to recognize that I think, um, you know, we know that oxytocin is a hell of a drug, right, ladies? Like it, it makes you, it's that tend and befriend hormone. And it also gives us some amnesia. So we do this again because mother nature is very, very smart. And it's like, you should have more, you should be like, fulfill your biological destiny and it's great and babies smell good. And, um, you know, so I, I, I think sometimes that, that processing and that reflection, um, that's why it does change over time. And that's, I think why it's important to keep asking and remembering, uh, that the answer and the depth is going to change over time. And like Daniela said, oftentimes that, that work comes up with, as we become mothers or, you know, with subsequent pregnancies. Um, but sometimes the simple questions are the ones that really hit us, you know, or sometimes it's, you know, what would you, what did you like about your birth? 
And sometimes when you ask that question to somebody who has had a difficult birth experience, they, they can with great accuracy and articulation and beauty tell you what they did like about their birth. Or is there something you, you know, that, that, antithesis or the opposite of that is, you know, what didn't you like about your birth? What would you have changed? And, and sometimes what you know, changed might be like something very small it, and it might have been something that was happened that was not um, in any way intentional. It was just, you know, a, a, an offhanded comment from a nurse or a midwife in the room, or, you know, that, you know, your husband looked at the phone and you wanted to freaking smash it. Um, you know, sometimes it might be little things little questions and they might change over time. I think I know they have for me as a mom. Thank you. Thanks for your question. Any other question um, from anyone listening right now? No. Okay. Well, I want to say thank you so much to everyone joining us today. Um, thank you, ladies, for sharing your wisdom with us um, and taking your time to have this conversation. This recording will be available as a podcast on the website for those of you who want to revisit or want to share with anyone in your community. Thanks so much again. Um, and we will stick around if there are any last minute questions. You've been listening to The Nest on Tap. For more talks about pregnancy and parenting, visit us online at thenestnevadacity.com, on Facebook at The Nest Family Resource, and on Instagram at thenest.nc.